0: And welcome to the first episode ever of Complicating the Narrative. Uh, this is Franco,
1: and this is Adam Curtley, the uh, interfaith chaplain here at the college.
0: As you hear, this is the first episode of Complicating the Narrative. The title it's going against the typical narrative, and here we're, we're aiming to explore the narrative of Whitman College. As some people claim that it's not a non, it's it's a non-spiritual place. So Adam, if you could explain more about that, if you don't mind.
1: Sure, Franco, thanks. Yeah, so in, in recent years, the Princeton Review actually um, published that Whitman College was among the least religious colleges in the country, which is a, is a difficult, I think, thing to measure. But what's become, I think, really important in this work is that it it is true that there are actually a number of folks here who come from religious background or maintain religious identities. Uh, So how they come up with the idea that there's a lack of religion here is is something that is a little bit of a a, a head-scratcher, a little confusing to me. Uh, but what I think is more important is the uh, is the idea that uh, students engaging in the in the quest for for meaning and purpose is actually very much uh, alive on our campus. so, so, Franco, when you suggested that you were sort of uh, interested in in podcast work, it, it really resonated with me the idea that we could engage uh, in in sort of an interview style of the voices of our community, students, faculty, and staff. Who might be doing interesting things on campus or in their work who might be willing to sit down and talk with us about how they think about meaning and purpose and how that applies to Whitman so so complicating that narrative uh, seemed like a a good enough uh, title for for this project and and I'm really uh, grateful to you for for help uh, helping us uh, drive this project I'm excited for the conversations we're gonna have
0: thank you so much and speaking of this project and looking forward to it like why are you, like, aiming to get out of this project by meeting different people in different positions on this campus?
1: Right. I think a lot of people might be in- engaging with sort of those big questions of their lives. Who am I? How am I going to make a difference? What am I doing here? And, and not even realizing necessarily that that's, that that's what they're doing. And I think that there's value in, in pausing a little bit and sort of looking through the lens of meaning making look, and just pausing and, and being intentional about the fact that I'm giving a little bit of time to draw connections between maybe what's happening in my classes, what's happening in my social life, what's happening in my campus job. And uh, if we don't if we don't pause to do that every once in a while, it can sort of wash over us and we're not really aware of it. So so I guess my hope is that the podcast can be uh, a moment where we can, by hearing other voices reflect on on meaning and purpose. It it might inform um, our journeys as well.
0: So does that mean only the students from religious background or that means the majority of campus can listen to it?
1: The statistics actually show that something like uh, a third of our students have some sort of religion. Now, whether or not they're engaged with that on campus, of course, it's been hard. We've not really had a functional sacred space on campus, uh, those kinds of things. And the Pacific Northwest is one of the least religious places in the country. Uh, that said, again, this work is, is about expanding the questions of meaning and purpose well beyond those 33% of students who identify as being uh, connected to an organized religion, but, but really to all of us. Uh, it's an invitation to all of us to, to pause and think about how we draw connections between the various facets of our lives. And And for some folks, religion can be a really important way in which that happens. Uh, but for plenty of others, it's not about organized religion. And as the interfaith chaplain, I'd say that's totally okay. What's most important to me is that we are being intentional about, about drawing meaning and finding meaning in our work
0: it is about having this platform that people can share their ideas their identities their background their beliefs in a safe space that no matter like if they're different or if they sound similar to people that are listening to them it's uh, it should have we should have this safe space and this podcast and this platform is a safe space for them to hear and to listen to different identities on campus that even it's a small campus, but we do have different I- ideas and different different ideas and different thoughts on belief and different belief system for different people. So I think it's very important. It's going to be very enriching for our community. So for our first guest, we interviewed someone that is newly in this position, someone that we wanted to know more about in Whitman College and we wanted to interact with to hear their thoughts and to see if they're welcoming for our project, and I was very happy to see that they're welcoming for our project, and to interact with this project to have this uh, to have this platform welcomed in, uh, in for bigger audience for, from the students and the staff here on campus. If you could, Adam, uh, if you could elaborate on that.
1: Yeah, no, you you, uh, you nailed a fantastic first interview for the for the podcast. President Bolton herself agreed to sit down with us. Uh, It was a, it was, we, she scheduled a half hour with us and it flew by. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how quickly the time went. She was so candid and so generous in her answers and really, really grateful that she spent the time with us and excited to share the interview uh, with our listeners.
0: As Adam mentioned, this is the interview with President Bolton. Enjoy it and stay with us.
1: As Adam and I
0: spoke before, uh, we are joined here today by President that Thank you so much for giving us from your time and joining us here on our podcast. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to it.
0: And before jumping to the heavy stuff, we just want to start like exploring this meaning of life and purpose to you. And we want to start asking you what is your favorite book slash movie slash um, show, TV show that you like.
2: Thank you so much. I have I have two things I, I think might be helpful. So I'll talk a little bit about a book that I love, uh, which is called Refuge by Terry Tempest Williams. And uh, this is a book I probably read for the first time 20 years ago or longer than that. Uh, and it's a book that is about... The Great Salt Lake and the the ecology, the birds, the lake level, what's happening as it intersects with the life of a woman and her family, and, and in particular the illnesses in her family, and um, some of which probably come from environmental issues that are arising, um, in particular um, uh, weapons testing in the region. And it's a really, really powerful book. It's very beautiful and and contemplative, and it kind of takes you out into the space. The first time I read it, I was living in the East Coast and had always lived far, far east of the Great Salt Lake. So for me, it kind of brought me into a space that was unfamiliar. But this idea of thinking about the the life of of a family and what's happening for individuals in the context of the space, and this is someone for whom the the, the space uh, is is very much important part of her life, right? So really which birds are where, what's happening on the lake is uh, is a central part of, of the life of this family. It's a, as it happens, it's a, a family with deep faith roots. So I was thinking about this book before, but with your question, I was thinking about that piece in particular. So it's a Mormon family, and they're thinking about the ways that they're faith this woman is thinking about the ways that her her faith that she agrees with it and disagrees with it and how does that intersect with the ways that she's making meaning in this in this time of her life but also this this time that's happening um in the geography of the place that she and her whole family have lived for generations so that's the the book i would offer for films, I think that one of my favorite films in the last few years is Hidden Figures. I don't know if either of you saw this yeah. film. Yeah, love that. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a great it's a great film. It's it's built from a book by Margot Lee Shetterly which is about black women mathematicians who became part of the programs at NASA that were sending flights off uh, for the very first time, right? The, these really, really important discoveries that were moving at NASA and, and these women and it talks about kind of the history of their educational opportunities, which were extremely constrained. You know, what were they able to learn? And then they have these incredible talents that they're brought in initially to do kind of rote computation. Um, and there's a whole team of women, actually, mostly black women who did rote computation at, at NASA. And then they become more and more important parts of of the first uses of computers for space flight and then really designing the the key information about orbital trajectories that actually uh, allowed uh, the flights to take off and uh, to be redirected and to land safely. So it's it's an extraordinary story I think that illuminates in a really personal way the ways the deep deep ways that structural racism and and segregation really were were limiting opportunities of these extraordinarily Uh, Talented and dedicated people, and then lifts up the kinds of discoveries and contributions that people made, which were actually really invisible for a long time after they made them, right? So it's really only in the last decade or so that people like Katherine Johnson, um, who made huge contributions, that, that her work was lifted up and made visible. And now there's a whole building named for her, at NASA really 50 years on from the time that her primary contributions were made and were so crucial and pivotal to to the success of this work that is You know everybody knows about the first space flights in the United States and what those were about, but her contributions and she was really central were not lifted up until until recently. So, um, and she and she lived to see all of that. Right there's she there's a beautiful video. She just passed away recently. This beautiful video of her um, at NASA talking about um, her uh, experiences in, in just the last couple of years. So I would offer Hidden Figures, the book the film, all of it. So that's, that, that's the other thing I wanted to lift up.
1: Thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, President Bolton. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, just a quick follow-up. You, you know, you mentioned that in the book that the, one of the central characters is uh, engaging with the questions of what do I, what is it that I actually believe about this faith that I've inherited. Yeah. And what strikes me about that is how, how not only common, but really I think important it is for students on campus. I think it's particularly in this time in their lives. Uh, my question's a little bit silly and people, sure. people have engaged it uh, uh, probably uh, th- throughout every dinner party that's ever happened uh, over the years, but if you had a chance to have either a glass of wine or a beer or a tea or coffee with, some, with someone, anyone, yeah. uh, historical or, or present, uh, who would it be and what would you want to discuss?
2: Yeah, so, so, and I appreciated your sharing this question in advance because there are many, many answers. Um, but, but I think that I, I land with President Obama for a lot of reasons. He is so thoughtful and principled and uh, clearly took leadership on in a particular way. You know, there, I, I really enjoyed watching the ways that that he led and communicated the ways that he thought about the role of his family in his life as a leader the ways that he brought people around him who would agree and disagree right at which you know good leaders do but also just the way he really enjoyed other people you know if you go back and watch some of that early video when he's bringing Lin-Manuel Miranda to the White House early on right before Hamilton is a thing and saying you know this is something that should be happening in the White houses and 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 you can see how delighted he is by having these incredibly talented people you know he would bring scientists just to dinner just to talk right like help me understand this a really interesting question and and you could see the way that his of intellectual energy and curiosity drove the ways that he led well and thought about trying to advance uh, things in the United States and, and engage with challenging problems. So there's something about the intersection of kind of really seriousness of purpose with huge joy in uh, in the arts, in music, in uh, intellectual life, and and then a kind of uh, you know thoughtful discipline about just trying to do good work that I find just endlessly interesting and, and, you know, there's so many lessons that I know that I could take, not that I have that kind of intellect or skill, but, but you know, that you can learn something from, from a conversation like that. So I think I would ask questions like, when you brought people around you to, to work on something really hard, <laughs> what, what, what were the first things that you thought about to make that go well? You know, how did you decide whose ideas you needed to to hear in that world where you're trying to, you know take care of the whole country, and in some ways, the, the world more broadly. Uh, how, how did you prioritize what you were going to work on first? You know, who's, who helped you change your mind? All those kinds of questions, and and then you know, how did you keep that great connection with your family and, and keep that all vibrant um, so beautifully over time? So there's lots of things that I would ask. Depends how long he would put up with me. <laughs> Usually, I drink coffee. That's my preferred. <laughs> that's my preferred indulgence. But uh, whatever he was interested in would be totally fine by me.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thank you for it. And you know, with every figure that we look up to or we learn from and their approach to life, there's there this fear and hope. And I would ask you, what is your fear and what is your hope?
2: Yeah, I think my fear and my hope are very closely intersected. So the things that I worry about are you know, how challenging the circumstances are in the world right now, of pandemics global climate crisis, um, all kinds of political upheaval. And those things are deeply interrelated, <laughs> right? They're deeply interrelated. In particular, the kinds of political upheaval that we see and the kinds of divisiveness, the, the, the space where people have m- more and more difficulty coming into community, that's one of the things that I worry about the most. So, so certainly the kind of material conditions <laughs> are, are things that I worry about, Environmental conditions are things that I worry about, but then that that kind of secondary challenge that we see of people losing the ability to come together across disagreements and treat each other as with each others hold each other's full humanity, right? And and treat each other with deep respect, even though they disagree. That that feels very frayed, right? You you feel a society, and I I have the sense that maybe this is part of why you're doing your podcast too. You, You feel the society that's really pulling pulling apart. And the isolation of the pandemic certainly contributed to that. Historically, back hundreds of years, pandemics have often led to times of, of deep uh, kind of suspicion and societal division because they concede a kind of uh, a sense of lack of trust and uh, a loss of control. And so I think we feel we're feeling that now. Uh, it's remarkable how much it looks like things that happened hundreds of years ago, in a way, societally. Um, but what I worry about is, is the, the loss of, of uh, the fabric of community, really, and a fabric of community of, of, um, of trust and care. And so for me, you know, hope and joy sit on the flip side of that coin, right? The ways that we can, we can create community, the ways that people step beyond in a given moment to connect with somebody to um, to build a relationship and so you know being on a campus like this one where everybody is so intentional and thoughtful about w- wanting to contribute to the community wanting to find ways to strengthen and reconnect especially in the season when people have uh, experienced all kinds of Isolation and, um, and trauma, I think that that's, it's a huge source of hope, right, because I'm surrounded by students and colleagues who are really thinking about building that, that that community in this moment and wanting to make a positive impact in the world and have so much capacity to do that. Uh, and that's the thing that, that gives me hope and also purpose, really, for the work that I do.
1: Thank you. In my role as, as serving in the Office of Spirit, Religious and Spiritual Life on campus, it's not uncommon for people to be a little surprised if they don't if they don't know me or this work, but they know a little bit about Whitman that that it, it's a you know such a, a, a secular institution. Why would they why would they have anybody with the title chaplain? And and I say that I I, I frequently joke that I'm I'm engaging with uh, some of the same questions that um, that the Office of Security might in, ask you on a weekend, which is who are you and what are you doing and where are you going? Yeah. And so I'm, I'm curious as, as you think about what's been sort of dubbed the big questions, where do you find yourself sort of landing with that and how, how might that inform your work and priorities here at Whitman?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'll just start by saying every campus needs a chaplain. Every person needs a chaplain. I mean, I, I do think the chaplaincy is so important because what we're all doing here, but especially what students are doing at this moment in their lives, is making meaning, right, and especially in this moment of history that students are living through now, these questions of what do I, you know, who am I and what do I have to contribute, what do I want to do, what's happening in the world, what's my place in that, how do I choose a direction, right, what does it mean to choose a direction in the place, you know, all of these students are incredible, they could contribute in so many places, how are people discerning Vocation, right? And vo- I think vocation is an interesting word because it has a historically a religious slant, but it really is the way that I think of that what students are choosing, right? Like, where do I want to take my life? That so that I'll have a life that is right for me, and I'll be able to contribute to things that matter and make the impact I want to make. So I think I, I actually can't imagine having a college without a chaplaincy, <laughs> uh, because because we need all of the different lenses to make find answers for ourselves to those questions and that part of that is being together in moments of celebration and moments of grief and, and finding ways to, to connect through those. So I'll just say, uh, even though my own uh, faith traditions are kind of uh, ragged in various ways, um, I, I can't imagine being on a college without a chaplain. So I'll, let's start That's there. Excellent. Um, but, but <laughs> it's super important from my perspective and it's a deep it's a deep, uh, you know, we talk a lot about, um, you know, a kind of cultural wealth and cultural pluralism and the ways that um, that we learn from one another, right? And, and faith traditions are such a deep part of culture, regardless of what one's individual personal beliefs are. Faith traditions are a huge part of cultures, and so if we're bringing together students from many identities, many nationalities, many spaces, I think that holding the fact that they're students of many faith traditions and many personal beliefs is a hugely important part of the ways that we, we learn together and, and make meaning. So I think that's, that's also really, really crucial for a lot of reasons. Uh, my own faith traditions are, uh, like I said, kind of complicated, but, but the probably most nearby piece of them is that when I was in high school, well, middle school, um, I started to go to Quaker meetings with, um, with a fam- family friends. And, uh, you know, I don't know how much you know about, uh, about Quaker practice, but that's a, that's a practice that's based in silence and, uh, and reflection. I found that to be a really powerful practice, really from the, from the first few times I went uh, to do it when I was, I don't I can't even remember, 11, 10 or 11 or 12, um, to sit in community with others uh, in reflection. You know, you think about that idea that you're seeking guidance, so it's not exactly a meditation practice There's not a sort of ritual aspect to it, but it is meditative, I think, for many people, and it's a long silence, right? So one of the things that um, my chaplain friends and colleagues have always laughed about with me is that, you know, for me, a moment of silence is is mo- longer than most people think, right? So uh, so because I'm used to practices where people sit in silence for an hour or so, and so people say, well, we'll have a moment of silence, ding, yeah. and they're like. That was not a moment of silence. Right. Like, I didn't know. You know, in, in the Quaker practice, people talk about kind of centering down. You know, it takes a minute from when you sit down and the room gets silent for you actually to uh, begin to be able to think and, and also particularly to listen. You're trying to um, listen for, for guidance from God, from spirit, from each other. That takes time, right? So, so, uh, so at at, at Williams, my, my friend, Chaplain Rick Spaulding, is a Presbyterian. He used to always say, like, I'm gonna try to make it a longer silence for you, Sarah, but I don't know how long people are gonna be able to hang on, right? We're not with you. Like, yeah, we'll we'll go for a minute because that's gonna seem really long. And I was like, I oh, know we're good, right? Those are different cultural practices. That's not a problem. Um, but you know, Quaker practice also really holds the idea that that God is in everyone. So there's not there's not a pastor or a, or a leader at the front of the room you sit in silence in uh, in a circle or a square probably a square because they're wooden benches so you know hard to make them in a circle but anyway but you sit uh, collectively together and then if someone feels moved to speak they stand and speak and they sit they sit down and there's actually an intentional practice that you're not supposed to just kind of get into a conversation like so if someone stands and speaks you're supposed to let that land in the space and not stand up and be like I disagree with you or oh yeah I think that too but to really let that let that sit in the space and then you know people speak as they're called and so you know over the course of an hour it might be that nobody speaks it might be that one person speaks it might be that several people speak and that you just you don't know when you go in the room whether you're going to say anything or whether anybody else is going to say anything either and i think that practice and that deep principle that everybody has access to wisdom everybody has access to truth and that our that that the job of coming together is both to pay attention to where we're guided individually but also to pay attention to one another and the truths that other people have to share I think that that is uh, that's pretty central to the ways that I think about the work that I do and the opportunities that we have in community. Not that everybody has to have that practice, and I, even myself, am often don't don't <laughs> have the opportunity to undertake that practice. But because of the ways that it what it calls on us to do collectively in community, so it's interesting. I was in a conversation this summer um, with a with a group of college presidents who are. Uh, all different kinds of Quakers and friends, and talking about the um, you know the work that we do and the, the ways that the ways that those practices infuse our work. So it's a it was a really interesting conversation. Like the the president of Boise State is also uh, Quaker, so there's there's quite a lot of us. You'd be surprised out there. The uh, University of Rochester, Earlham, of course, is, uh, right. that's a Quaker college. So anyway, it's just an interesting uh, community. People who lead very different. Communities uh, and do different kinds of work, and just talking about with the kinds of things that we do. What what are the ways that those those practices and values infuse in our thinking? Just a quick follow up, and then Frank,
1: I'll let you sort of close with our with our final question yeah. in just a second. It it occurs to me that as you describe sort of the Quaker value of, mm-hmm. of recognizing God and everyone, mm-hmm. it it feels to me that that could be expanded to the idea of a sense of worth and valuing members of your community with whom. We might be really challenged, or with mm-hmm. whom we might disagree, and and how how easy it is to let go of recognizing the dignity and worth mm-hmm. of those with whom we share community. And exactly. and I think I think that um, sort of goes back to your first response mm-hmm. in terms of of, of of this is the hard work of being in an in, in an intentionally diverse community. Mm-hmm. And then even one step beyond that, uh, you, you look at college campuses across the country that have counseling centers mm-hmm. that can't, you know, that, that are running out of, running out of uh, time and space to meet all of the needs. And that, that sense of self-worth uh, and recognizing the value of the self is, is I think, a critical for, for students, um, uh, not only at Whitman, but, but uh, all across the country. So really that's appreciate right. your insights there.
2: Yeah, thank you. And I, I really appreciate it. I think you're, you're right. There's a lot that's, that's rooted in this idea of the dignity and worth of every person, And also the voice of every person, right? I think that that's also the bridge, right? So it's the dignity and worth of each individual in the community and also the value of the voice and creating the space for each person to say the thing that they're called to say in that moment. And I think that's not something that we always create space for in our daily busyness where you're like in a meeting and you've got 14 things on the agenda and you're gonna power through them. Um, You know, and asking that question like how are we creating space for each person's voice because the value of each voice is the reason that you're together if you didn't value each voice you shouldn't be having a meeting right mm-hmm. so so i think that's uh and that's a practice i try to reflect on for myself because it's very easy to drift out of that space mm-hmm. and get into because the kind of pace that we really need to move yeah
0: thank you for sharing that this is really inspiring especially yeah. like that like people here on campus and people listening from different beliefs and different faiths and different spiritual background and it's really like the idea behind belief faith background finding the meaning of life spirituality is to work with these differences it's not so to work with these similarities with people like us but to work with people that are different than us from the beginning so this is really inspiring thank you for sharing that since this is a podcast we wanted to Ask you a question. Uh, final question to end up with is: What is your taste in music? What do you listen to lately? What do you? What songs that would you recommend
2: Oh, that's such a good question. So, so I listen to everything. You know, anything that comes my way. Um, I love to listen to. I don't have a, a singular taste in music. I like lots of things. Um, I played music growing up. I played violin and viola, and lots of classical music. Um, I kind of made money through high school playing in quartets for people's weddings, which, in retrospect, I am so gra- uh, glad grateful that they invited us, a bunch of fifteen year olds, to play your wedding. That feels like a risky step to take, but anyway, people were very kind, uh, you know. And so I really have a, a broad. Um, a broad interest in music, so I don't know that I have one recommendation for you. Um, I would say I love listening to student music, so anything our students have produced or made, it was awesome listening to the, uh, the a cappella groups this, this past weekend, and then the, the other music groups that performed through Family Weekend. I had that on my calendar for months, you know, I'm going to get to see, uh, you know, the, the chorus perform, the, the orchestra perform, the wind ensemble, so, the jazz combo, so, um, so, so I think, really, for me, anything that students are doing is is my answer to that question.
1: Thank you. Thank you for that. So grateful, uh, President Bolton, for you taking the time to, to have this conversation with us. This is our our inaugural interview and look forward to engaging other members of the community students faculty staff administration and what a way to start we're so grateful that you responded to the invitation
2: yeah thank you so much good luck with this project i'm excited about it and uh, i look forward to listening to the interviews you have with other members of the community i'm sure i'll learn a lot
0: thank you for being with us thank That's you a for a pleasure
2: that. thank you both thank, thank you, you so much
0: and that was our interview with president bolton We'll leave you to listen to the music that she recommended, which is music from Whitman Events, the best music ever. On that note, uh, this is Franco, and this is the first episode of Complicating the Narrative. By the red